0: Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films, with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse.
1: Today on TAP, we have An American Werewolf in London, starring David Naughton, Jenny Agutter, Griffin Dunn. And written and directed by John Landis. Welcome back to Rise Smile Films. It's time to do something a little bit different, not an entire cast, but rather what we call dealer's choice horror film edition. And um, today was my pick, uh, as we alluded to at the end of last episode, and I decided to pick a film I've been wanting to talk about for a long time, but it gives us an avenue to talk about a particular monster. Uh, For the first time on this podcast, I know that's going to be really interesting, but The American Werewolf in London from 1981, uh, one of my all-time favorite films. I'm glad we could watch it together, and uh, our little dessert at the end of the film was also really good, but we'll save that, right? Yeah. Excellent. So, special movie calls for special bourbon. This is the Weller Special Reserve. We both really like Weller. Sure do. When we can find it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And while you're pouring that out, just kind of, I guess, a little appetizer uh, to get the thing started. Brief just response, or just, we could talk about it for a little bit, but Mr. Hugh Jackman coming back to play Mr. Logan Wolverine in Deadpool 3. Yay? Nay? Mixed feelings?
0: Uh, I think yay. Um, Hugh Jackman is a little frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. Not because he says things that annoy me. I just think that that was a career that had a lot of bad choices, and he's really remarkably talented. Yeah, singing, dancing, acting. And I don't want to put him in the Harry Potter or Luke Skywalker mold, where that's only anyone that role that anyone will ever see you as. Yeah, but man, his film selection kind of sucks. There's he's some, got some stinkers in there. He's got a couple okay ones. There's but, stinkers, and then there's some gems. I mean, like look at Prisoners or The Prestige. Yeah. Like those two are some of his saving graces, but then there's a bunch of other stuff in there regardless. Okay. Blah, 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 about all that. I think he and Ryan Reynolds have terrific chemistry together. Yeah. And if they're able to do that in an R rated fashion with Deadpool as the backdrop, Mm -hmm. I have to tell you, I think I'm pretty excited to see that. I, I don't care if it fits in the MCU. I don't care about but interconnectivity. Po- I, I, I just
1: want to see them. I mean, at this point, with the MCU be damned with continuity and whatever the focus and the mm-hmm. vision is, Like, I'd rather see a good movie yeah. with good chemistry that's fun and violent. Um, I'm jazzed. I think ah. but both of us, I think we both really love his casting as that character. And if we're getting one more time to see him play
0: it, so be it, man. I don't really know why he chose to walk away from it. I mean, I guess maybe you're just tired of doing it, and maybe it's hard on his body because he's not a young man anymore, and he has to go through a pretty significant physical change that's what to I was, pull that that's off. That's what I was thinking, yeah. There's plenty of drugs and, and things like that to help him, and I don't even begrudge the man for that. Uh, if that's what it takes, then so be it. And I think Logan was
1: kind of the perfect swan song for that character. It's kind of own little, like, off-into-the-sunset type of film for him. So I thought they ended it pretty well for him, but
0: this is the dessert for the Logan series now. So can I ask you a question about Logan? If you were to rate that film Mm -hmm. the way we rate it, what would you give it? Probably single barrel. Really? You liked it that much? I did.
1: Uh, I liked that. It wasn't really tied to too much of the other X-Men films. It was kind of its own interesting little thing, but the stuff with him and Laura X 23, Mm -hmm. I thought was really good. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like that. Like this guy shouldn't be mentoring a child. He has no business. Like, you know, teaching people, but yeah. they kind of found the best parts of each other. And she helped soften him up a little bit. And he helped kind of like guide her like through the world as this monstrous creation. Right. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff in there. It does I don't think the villains particularly, uh, really well. And it's like a doppelganger Logan, right? Robot Logan. But I think that that last five minutes of him dying there, mm-hmm. spoiler alert, mm-hmm. uh, it was pretty, pretty touching. And I think it just makes you think of his whole tenure as that character. Right.
0: Yeah. That movie uh, was adapted from a graphic novel that I didn't particularly love, but it was fine. Uh, I'm glad to see him come back and give it one more swing because that movie did leave kind of a poor taste in my mouth. And I I think I'm in the minority on that. But I also mm-hmm. liked some of his earlier just Logan stuff more than most people did too. Like whatever the one is with the Silver Samurai. The Wolverine. I like that yeah, film. That one's
1: good too. Uh, and, and I, I like Wolverine
0: Origins as well. I think both I those are solid don't films. don't like that
1: movie. <laughs> So, uh, But I think he's really good in Days of Future Past. Oh, yeah. He's good in X2. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really... Go fuck yourself. Yeah, it's really been like just the Logan show for most of that series tenure. So.
0: I think it's going to be really interesting to see where they leave it. That how, movie's going to make a fortune. Oh, yeah. How it's going to kill.
1: How does Marvel not reveal that at D23? Yeah, why didn't they? They would have just shut the place down with an announcement mm-hmm. like that. They bring Hugh out, you know?
0: They really dropped the ball on that one, man. Even if they had just brought out Ryan mm-hmm. and he sort of quipping in the way he does like yeah. that and then say oh um and then hugh jackman comes in from the back. Uh, the place they
1: would, could have killed it would have lo- they would have just went mad yeah damn
0: missed but opportunity two really good trailers if you haven't seen them i recommend looking them up there's two of them and they're very very funny and uh yeah i, I did we get a release date yet though I don't. Know yeah toward did. september 2024 so we got some little ways to go some weights so this probably was just announced actually maybe they didn't even have it at d23 yet possibly yeah some Convincing
1: on his part, but I just wanted to get your take on that because I know that's something we've talked about a lot. Those characters and
0: all that. Big uh, release last night, mm-hmm. Hocus Pocus two. <laughs> I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> Twenty five years late, at least. Twenty five years too late. I mean, make that in
1: like the late nineties when it's like, I don't know. Do you ever see the original? I love the original. I've never seen it. Really? Mm-hmm. That was one I used to rent all the time from the grocery store. Like, a little I could, scary. I. Uh, it's got its moments. It's got some good, a little makeup. Uh, job in there, but it's mostly funny. But I, I rented that thing to death, so I have a good little fondness for for that original Hocus Pocus. Yeah, excellent. Well, let's go ahead and dive right into our flight question. You
2: saw me standing alone, without a dream in
3: my heart, without. A
2: what I was there for.
1: Such appropriate music. Well, all the music in this has something to do with the moon, bad moon, moon dance, blue moon. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. like it's very
0: catered to the story that
1: we're going to talk
0: about. Celestial, in fact. Mm-hmm. All right. So inspired by the film today, I gave you a semi-casting question mm-hmm. revolving around a new version of The Wolfman. Okay this might be revisited down the road if the Gosling thing ever picks up a little bit more traction than what I've been able to not find about it. Yeah. But I supposedly it's happening, but I don't care about who's going to play the parts or we're talking kind of behind the scenes here. Okay. So I want you to fill three roles in your contemporary next Wolfman arrival on the big screen. I want you to do director. Okay. I want you to do musical composer and I want you to do visual slash special effects. Okay. Um, Do all three at the same time if you like. And then, or we can go back and forth.
1: Let's do our directors first. Sounds
0: good. Who's the guy leading the
1: ship? So I'll go first. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of an interesting choice for me. Uh, I've been revisiting this director's particular films the last couple months and really odd on how I feel about them. There's some stuff I like. There's some stuff that's just so polarizing. And I would really like to see what his take is on a monster because his films are all about like obsession and perfection or addiction and I think you could weave the werewolf lore into something like that. So my director's Darren Aronofsky. Good choice. And I would really like cuz you know Black Swans maybe the close and mother mm-hmm. the closest he's come to doing like horror. But if he went full horror with like a monster film that's part body horror, uh he can get on all that psychological uh stuff that he does with his
0: films. I don't know that might be that might that might work. I think that would do more than might work. I think that'd be great. And he needs some help too. Mm -hmm. Do you like The Wrestler? Mm -hmm. I love that film.
1: I like The Wrestler. I like Black Swan. I kind of came around on Mother. That's a very polarizing first watch. And then going in a second time, I think I appreciated it a little bit more of just how chaotic it really is. Mm. That guy's got some issues with with God, man. Yes. Uh, Because you look at that Noah film he made with Russell Crowe and Connolly. Like he's got some issues I think he's trying to work through and they
0: come through in, in his movies in some interesting ways. Mm-hmm. But that's my choice. Who are you going with? Well, you mentioned body horror and my initial reaction up until sometime last night was going to be Brandon Cronenberg just because I think he could handle it pretty well. But actually his dad from 15 years ago, probably, or 20 years ago might've been even more suited, but I'm not actually going to go with either one of those. They I have wanted... to get him
1: to not be doing history of violence and yeah. Eastern promises then. <laughs>
0: The werewolf mythos for me is really troubled because I think we have a hard time decoding why the werewolf acts the way that it does. It really is an introspective look at the nature of man and the battle of the forces of primal and civilized happening in him. And I don't mean that in a wild west kind of way. Mm. you know I think does that really well? Plays in that space really well. This is going to trip you out. Mr. Steven Soderbergh. Mm. I there's no foray into horror for that guy. Um, I don't want George Clooney to be in it, <laughs> but probably I the think the closest he came to horror was maybe contagion. Yeah.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: I think that there is some meat on the bone that he could work with to flesh out the character so that when the flesh is removed and the hair is revealed, the desires of the titular villain, are truly revealed and celebrated, if you will. Uh, I don't want it to play like a rot drama, mm-hmm. but there are some pieces that usually happen in werewolf films, right? Which include the the, the romance, mm-hmm. namely. Mm-hmm. And it's clearly troubled because nobody believes the guy that he's the werewolf. And then the acceptance of that, it's a tough way to build a relationship. So I think that Soderbergh and that space could play pretty well. I'd um, like to see that. Also, mention to Denny Villain wave but uh, he comes up all the time because we're both, um, I think, enamored with what he does. He's in a good position right now, right? I had one question for you on this, though. Okay. Did you consider, I know it's not maybe his wheelhouse because it's not so much monsters, it's more uh, ghosts and, and religious stuff. Okay. Did you consider Aster at all?
1: Maybe a little bit.
0: What about, I okay, got one more for you then. Yeah. What about Shamylin?
1: That'd be pretty good. Have you seen the trailer for his new movie? I haven't yet. Oh, man, I'll show it to you after we finish here. It looks, it started, the trailer starts out like, oh, that looks pretty interesting. And then at the end of the trailer, it's like, yeah, of course he would go there. It's just like, that movie looks nutty Mm. (laughs) in kind of not a good way. Oh, great. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Yeah, he could probably maybe do something
0: pretty interesting with with the werewolf. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of familiar with horror. Mm Mm-hmm but I'm still going to go with Soderbergh. I would like to see. I think that'd be a great choice. That take on that. Excellent. What do you want to do next music? Or you want to do the makeup? Yeah. The makeup visual effects. Yeah. Makeup, makeup.
1: Visual effects, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with the guy we've talked about several times on this podcast in the horror circles. And I don't think he's ever gotten a chance to do a werewolf for that type of transformation. I think we'll, we'll talk at length today on how important the transformation sequence is is from the original wolfman to what we see in this film. So that matters. And I that's what really killed the Benicio del Toro Wolfman film for me was it just looks so fake, mm-hmm. right? It's so phony. Um I'm gonna go with classic horror guy, Mr. Tom Savini from Friday the thirteenth and Dawn of the Dead fame. The guy can do knows his way around some makeup. So I would like to see what his take on a werewolf and a werewolf transformation would look like. I don't know if this is fantasy uh, drafting, right? Yeah. I mean, this this movie's not going to happen. So I was going to say, I think he's retired, but in our scenario, he's not, and he's going to pull off the werewolf for us in in my little film.
0: I think in the film industry, everybody goes from either retired to vacationing at some point. When sure. the gig's up, you don't have another gig, yeah. unless you're just from, from gig to gig. Mm-hmm. I like that choice. I didn't think about him at all. Yeah. Uh, do you think in his version of this film, it's probably a little more bloody than... Oh, yeah. I think so, too. Yeah, I think it's pretty gruesome. And I think it probably should be because you do kind of tear a lot of flesh in this film, whether it's transformation or yeah. consumption. Yep. Yeah. Good choice, Thank dude. Thank you. Thank like you. it. This is someone who's kind of new to me. I'm embarrassed to say that. This is a space that you are much more familiar with than I am. Mm-hmm. Mr. Dennis Murin. A lot of my choice for this stems from his work with the Terminator series. I think that sort of removal of flesh and reveal and what you can do with it plays really well in this space. The trick here with this is the visual imaging, light and magic, all that sort of stuff. I don't want this to be so heavy CGI that it loses its volume because that's especially troubling when we watch the transformation. The transformation of man man to wolf without volume would not look good. I don't need it to be an artist rendition or a drawing. Mm-hmm. I need it to be mass, like mass shredding mass as we move from one to the other. Yeah. If we could get around that, and I think we can, and I think the Terminator, especially T2 has proved that. Mm-hmm. I think there's something there. Um, I think you could
1: have a pretty good balance in your film, a good balance of some practical work with some like CGI kind of masking in the back. Like they could probably complement each other really well, like Jurassic Park, something I, like that. You
0: have to lose, you have to use both these days, mm-hmm. don't you? Yeah. If you just use straight makeup, I think it comes across a little hokey. Mm-hmm. If you just go straight visual. Loses its volume, it, right? It, yeah. yeah. So it's a fine line here, but I think this guy can handle it. I think it's a master of the craft. Okay. Uh, you would know this more than me. How many Academy Awards has this guy won?
1: I think he has Six.
0: So the fact that I, he's new to me is kind of an embarrassing moment. But so I, think I it, learned something today.
1: I think it's Star Wars. Empire, I've heard of that.
0: I think it's Empire. I've heard Tem- of that too.
1: Temple of Doom, Raiders, <laughs> Jurassic Park, and one other one in there. Like the big films, right? <laughs>
0: it's a pretty good slate of films. Awesome. Dennis Muir.
1: Great choice. Oh, our movies are shaping up to be fairly, really watchable. <laughs> this fantasy lineup's good so far. So the musical score, the kind of the piece that makes or breaks movies for me, oftentimes or not, um, I want to go with the duo that I think adds some really good tone to their films when they're used. Uh, just odd choice, but I'm going to go with the combo of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, and they've mostly been associated with Fincher, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Social Network, Dragon Tattoo, Seven, Gone Girl, so. Yeah, I'm gonna go with them. They they kind of it's more ethereal, it's more tonal, uh, some synth use, but a lot of droning noises. And I think they could really set a good tone paired with Aronofsky uh, to really make us uneasy.
0: So I'm gonna go with those guys. I love that. I didn't even consider Trent Reznor. He's yeah. found himself a nice little career post Nine Inch Nails, hasn't he? Absolutely, yeah. That's a good choice, Jesse. <laughs> good one. I'm also gonna rip my choice from rock music. Uh, annals. Okay. annals. am take a stab at who this is going to be.
1: I don't know. I don't know if I could get it.
0: <laughs> it might seem like it would be Danny Elfman, but it's not. It's going to be Mr. Mark Mothersbaugh. Oh, nice choice. I think that... Devo, right? Yep. Yep. The weird industrial pre-punk post-disco whatever that was that Devo fit into could work really nicely in this. I don't want reheated Devo music in this. I don't want Whip It. But I do like some of the sounds that I think that that could possibly provide. Uh, I think when I see a werewolf transforming on screen and I want in my mind to score that, it should sound sharp and it should sound guttural. For some reason, those two places in my, my volume of or my library of sounds or music seems to fit with that. The guttural because of the stomach feeling and the consumption and the sharp because it kind of lends to tearing. So maybe some strings. Uh, that's not necessarily Mother's Boss space, but only because he hasn't done it. That's a great choice. The other one that I kind of kicked the tires on, and I don't know if he's ever done a film score or not, but uh. I know you're going to love this one more. Like, if he'd done one before, I would have said this. Yeah. You know who'd be great? Gabriel Byrne. Mm. I mean, I, we're,
1: not Gabriel Byrne. The actor?
0: No, like Talking Heads. Oh, David Byrne. I said Gabriel. Yeah, David <laughs> Byrne. Sorry about that. That would be pretty good. I don't know if he's... Because well, I know he's got, like, a, a new Broadway show that he's doing that's a Journey Into the Mind or something like yeah. that.
1: And he's done he's done some movies. I don't know if he's ever done, like... Gabriel Byrne, David Byrne, he, oh,
0: David Byrne. What was he
1: has? What did he collaborate? He's col- he's collaborates with like new artists, like on like mm-hmm. on things. He's very much still active in the music scene. I would listen to that. Yeah, that would be good. Mark Mothersbaugh. Most recently, he did Thor Ragnarok yeah. soundtrack. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I know him most from the Rugrats theme. Is do, that do, him? Do, 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 do. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, oh, real that. early on, right? Mm. Great choices. I think those are some. Very interesting werewolf flicks we could get with those three guys on each side, each of our sides
0: there. So do you want to do one more just off the cuff? It just came to me. Okay. Do you want to do titular lead actor?
3: I don't
2: know. I
1: might kind of go unknown. Maybe kind of like what this film does. Uh, it I might be hard to imagine. Like a cl- That's going to be the trick, right? Someone as prominent as Gosling. Are we going to buy him transforming into this werewolf? Mm-hmm. I think it really works in today's film because we don't really know these actors from a lot. Right. So there's a pretty good buy-in when they become beast. I don't know. I think I would go unknown. I don't know. Miles Teller might be pretty good in, in, mm-hmm. in this role. Mm-hmm. Even Miles Teller and Aronofsky, man, that's going to be a weird movie.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very <laughs> weird. Yeah. What about you? I go back and forth on this. Do you want young and youth or do you want aged? I think each one of them <clears throat> offers some different places in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I don't mean aged like Anthony Hopkins in that Wolfman. That was Mm -hmm. not good. I could see Mark Strong. Mm, That'd be good. He seems to sort of fit the royalty of that role that I think works, but only because that seems to naturally kind of fall into legacy or, you know, Larry Talbot Jr., the second, sort of along those lines. <laughs> sure. But another interesting take on that would be someone that's a little more streety. And by streety, I don't mean like urban. I just mean someone that's a little bit more.
1: Um, I don't know. Maybe you could give Benicio a second crack at it. Him and Soderbergh have that
0: traffic connection. So, oh, what struck me on this today, and this is why I came up with this, as much as I said, here's the one that's going to be a little crazy, as this movie has a, a heavy degree of, of comedy in it. Yeah. What about, ready for this? Yeah. Paul Rudd. as the Wolfman?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Because then you could play into both sides a
0: little bit. Mm-hmm. I dig it. I do too. God, I let's go see this movie. Or we can just take the one that Gossing's going to do. <laughs> yeah, we'll just we'll wait four years for that thing to come Jeez. out. Great one Universal. Great choice, uh, great question. Um, but
1: I know we have a ton to talk about today, so let's go ahead and dive right into our uh, review breakdown of An American Werewolf in London. Perhaps they will be safe in the rain. No one brought them here. No one
2: wanted them here. You could have told them. Me and What do you think they'd say? They'd think us mad.
3: Listen. Do you hear it?
2: We must go to them. I heard nothing. Not I. Did you hear that? I heard that. What was it? Could be a lot of things. Yeah? A coyote. There aren't any coyotes in England. The Hound of the Baskervilles? Picos Bill? Heathcliff. Heathcliff didn't howl. No, but he was on the moors. (laughs) It's a full moon. Beware Beware the moon. moon. And stick to the road. I thought we go back to the slaughtered lamb.
1: Yeah. So before we get to that scene in the slaughtered lamb, can I actually tell you the origins of this film? Mm-hmm. I think this is really cool. Yeah. So, John Landis, when he was eighteen, I think that's maybe his first break into the business. He was just a low-level PA production assistant on Kelly's Heroes with Donald Sutherland. and Eastwood in that film? Mm-hmm. And so they're filming in Europe, and him and this other kind of crew member are just kind of trying to get to the next town. And they walked past this gypsy camp that was having a funeral for this guy. And they were burying him feet first, and they wrapped him in rosaries and garlic. And the guy went up to, like, talk to him, like, what are you guys doing? Like, this is a very strange way to do a funeral or bury somebody. And they're like, we're doing because we don't – he had some heinous crime he, like – killed or raped someone in the nearby village and uh they didn't want him to rise from the dead, right? Wow. This kind of gypsy lore, right? So Landis heard that and he was like, wow, "What the like going through so much effort to ward off the undead, right? Mm-hmm. So he was like, "What a great idea. What could I use with that vampire, werewolf, zombie? Like what could I do with that?" And he settled on werewolf and he wrote his first draft of this when he was 18 years old.
0: That's awesome. Yeah.
1: And so this thing just kind of floated around and he got his big break with a film called Schlock, the banana monster about this kind of like gorilla that's just like kind of hanging out in this like 1950s town. And then no one still wanted to do anything with it. And then, you know, he kind of got his carte blanche, right? I mean, he then does animal house and blues brothers, huge hits. And so then universal was like, okay, we'll do your little $10 million werewolf film. So Mm. this thing gestated for about 20, uh, like 12 years. Mm. But what a cool little origin for this, kind of rooted in its own horror. But, man, the guy was young to just even think I could write a screenplay like
0: this. I love those great spec stories like that. Yeah. And they don't sell it or doesn't get optioned or pawned off and on somebody's shelf to never be made. I love that he just hung on to it. Like the Rocky story is a little bit like that also, right?
1: Or they tell you, too, like, your first screenplay is going to be such Trash. shit that it's just, like, the jumping point to your next one, which will be a lot better. And it probably was, but it didn't mean he didn't rewrite it. No, yeah. He, like, I think worked on it a lot. And so he met Rick Baker on Schluck in 1971 and told him about his werewolf idea. And so they struck up a friendship mm. early on. So when it was time in 1980 to sit down and do this, he knew he, he was going to. And Rick Baker was already kind of carving out a little niche for him. His big thing up to that point was he designed and was in the suit of the Jessica Lang, Jeff Bridges, King Kong. Like that was Rick Baker's kind of like big film up to that point. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that they just kind of kept in contact. And then when it was time, they were like ready to strike. Right. Yeah. So yeah, just the, just the early kind of origins of this story, but the film starts out by kind of disarming us with this nice 1950s melodic version of blue moon These lush landscapes, and then when we meet our first two characters, uh, David, played by David Naughton, and Jack, played by Griffin Dunn, they're in the back of a sheep truck. Like, these two characters are lambs for the slaughter before the film even starts, right? So well said, yes. Yeah, that's like, Landis has said that wasn't unintentional. Like, that was purposely done, like, these guys are so out of their element. Yeah got these two American, I kind of imagine I try to like come up with like a scenario for them. Like maybe they're post grad school grads. Yeah. Three months to Mm -hmm. like, let's go live life a little bit before we settle into nine to five. Right. And we're just going to tour Europe and we're going to walk there. We're going to backpack Italy, Rome. Like we're going to get through all of it and it doesn't look pleasant, but I think Landis has a pretty big hurdle to overcome by the time we get to our inciting incident is he's got to make these guys really likable really fast before he does what he's going to do to them. What do you kind of think of the the setup here of
0: our characters? I think there's a trick to be done because the conversations need to revolve around what guys would speak about, which is probably sports and women and music.
1: Yeah, Getting laid, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> but it can't be so locker room. That it's off putting to us, and we just sit back in our seats and eye roll, and oh, he's that guy. Yeah. they, in fact, do have that conversation on the road over what's that gal's name? Um, Jack's.
1: Hang on, let me, whatever her name let me, I'll is. I'll remember
0: it. A lot of the conversation revolves around the facial features and the body features of one particular female. Which Debbie Klein. There you the go. End. Debbie Klein. That's it. But it's handled in a way that. Shows the two have quite a camaraderie, a joviality between them. Uh, There's a good sense of humor, but it's not so off-putting that you just lean back and say, oh God, this guy, like Mm -hmm. dick swinging, testosterone fueled, because they can't be that. Yeah, They're just like two buds, right? Yeah, and and the question is, if you're going to go backpacking through Europe, Mm -hmm. most of the places you go, you're probably not going to speak the language of the people that are there. So who you go with is about the only person you have to speak to. Mm -hmm. So it's got to be somebody that you're close and friendly and familiar with. There's a lot of time to talk on these backpack trips. yeah. And really quickly, we get that these guys are thick, thick, thick as thieves and share a common worldview that is friendly and funny, but not uh, gregarious, Mm -hmm. but not so hyper that there's nothing for everybody to kind of latch on Yeah, And as two males, mm-hmm. that's saying something, because I probably don't know where the line on two hyper-masculine exists, mm-hmm. but you can get there. Yeah. Um, Steve Stifler, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. We don't want Stifler.
1: What's his line in America by two? He's like, my dick is 13 inches around do the math. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that guy, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you don't want to be too off-putting, but we want to make them likable because we're going to a kill one of them and then B put another one through this horrible curse. Yeah. I love this film because it's pretty genius cuz it's a fish out of water story twofold. Yeah. You have Americans in a foreign land trying to speak the language, learn the the lingo. It's not your place, it's not your home. It's very foreign to you. And then you have the werewolf element on top of that, which is here's this thing I don't know about. I don't know what it's going to do to me. And that's kind of fish out of water as well. Mm -hmm. So Landis is cooking with some really interesting things here. But once we roll up and stroll into the slaughtered lamb, I mean, he hits all the beats of that type of bar, right? The little kind of hole in the wall off the beaten path type of bar where everyone there knows each other. It's like Sam's place and cheers, but they don't accept any foreigners. I mean, you just see how dead quiet it goes the second they walk in there and they're already off, put a little bit by the sign, this like wolf head through this like spike and they're not very friendly to them there. There's no food for them. They kind of just want them to on your merry way. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, we have tea. I can make it for you. And you can kind of just see just how uncomfortable they are and how everyone's just kind of giving them the shifty eye and then we get this guy here. I don't even know if he's given a name, but it's John Glover, who I also know from Alien 3 of all films. Mm. This guy just, like, yucks it up and just going to tell this really racist joke <laughs> that you know the way how excited he is and how it just kills everybody, right? This guy's telling this joke once a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell the Alamo joke, which is this kind of whole to-do about this plane that's too heavy and it's going to crash in the Atlantic and... They get rid of all the seats and the luggage, and then they start. People start jumping out uh, "Viva la France" and "God Save the Queen," and then the guy from Texas is like, "Remember the elbow, and then he chucks out the Mexican. I mean, it's just it's it's messed up. But like, it's just all these guys they just eat it up, right? Yeah, they're like laughing for like ten seconds, mm-hmm. but then they're they're really troubled by this pentagram on the wall there. You and me stroll up into this slaughtered lamb. Like, what's your feeling of like what these guys are going to? Are you off put by like this weird satanic imagery and how
0: unwelcoming and unhomely this place is? Yeah, but I'm also smart enough to not poke the you know poke the bear. It's about to rain. It's freezing cold, and you're just looking for a place to hang out where it's warm. And you don't have anywhere to go that night, mm-hmm. so you need to probably. Open and close this bar yeah. in reverse order. Close it and then open it the next morning because you're on your own. <laughs>
1: you're sleeping there on the benches, yeah. Right.
0: And our two characters start to have a discussion underneath or, or behind the townies and their camaraderie over the Alamo joke, a route about this pentagram. Mm-hmm. Now, Much Ado is made about a five-pointed star, mm-hmm. which... I would say that's pretty much most of the stars that I know, but and they make a big deal about this five pointed star, mm-hmm. and there is some acknowledgement to werewolf lore. I think the movie has been mentioned a couple times. Do at you that like point. that? That like in yeah.
1: universe that they like reference the Wolfman. Yeah, yeah,
0: I do like that. Yeah, and as much as the Alamo brings the house down, or the Alamo <laughs> joke brings the house down, boy, so does a question about the pentagram on the wall as well. Yeah, and the dart thrower misses the board, and this is a question that isn't really answered the whole film, and that's why are these people in this town so protective over the secret? Because I wouldn't be protective about this Yeah, secret. you would
1: take the approach you were kind of telling me of like you'd want help to deal with this curse, this Let's epidemic. Get this
0: shit out of my town.
1: Yeah. yeah, instead of... But I think the town's like, God, like best left untalked about, right? Let's sweep it under the rug. We deal with it once a month. We all kind of stayed hold, hold up in our little chantates and move on with our merry little lives, right? Uh,
0: do you buy that these people in this pub would be so unwelcoming to these two strangers in the middle of a freezing cold night?
1: uh, If they didn't have this werewolf curse, uh, uh, I would think they'd be a lot more friendly, but the fact that they had this thing that they don't want the outside world to know about, I can actually, I understand the hostility a whole Mm -hmm. lot more. Our little kind of hostess uh, woman behind the bar. She's the most friendly of all of them where she's telling them, you guys can't let them leave. Like you can't just like, go, go get out of here. Um, I kind of like that this film. There's a few times I think that Landis could maybe expand on where this started, why it happened, and then at the end, kind of like the questions left unanswered or where this is going. I kind of like that he doesn't answer them. Right? There's kind of this mysterious void on like the mystery of it all, because that's not what the movie's about. It's, right. it's about the American werewolf in London. Right. right? It's <laughs> yeah. About well said. Him going through the thing. So I. Most other films would probably over-explain everything that's going on. And I like that Landis takes the kind of, you know, undescript approach, like very, very under the radar. So
0: yeah, that's a good point. I mm-hmm. let's get to the werewolf already. Yeah, um, there's enough of a suspicious or sinister element in the slaughtered lamb that we know something is amiss. They've danced around it by flirting with some questions regarding the pentagram. The townsfolk are not the most welcoming. Except for, and I think this plays really, really well, when they are kicked out or asked to leave. Yeah, the bar winch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shows some remorse. Yep. And continually asks, we can't send them out there. Shouldn't we go get them? Shouldn't we go get because she knows what's waiting for them out there. And the advice they give them is stay off the moors and stay on the road. Frankly, I don't think that would make a damn bit of difference. Mm-mm. There's nothing else out there except you and the wolf. Yeah. So road or, or moors, it's curtains. Well, I'm
1: glad they let him go because we get to yeah. one of my favorite inciting incidents in film, which is this very sound-driven stalking of these two yeah. guys on the moors. What do you think of the wolf howl in this film? This, let me, or you have here, it? Yeah. Here, I, it's so in that insane. scene, so just let it catch up there, but it's almost like a warning, right? It's almost like this call. Don't trifle with this. And it doesn't sound like a regular wolf. It does sound monstrous. That is mad. Listen. Do you hear it? Guttural. It's pretty good. That's mm-hmm. a good use of sound. And so when they're they're out on the moors, they hear it. And then I love watching this like with the surround and the back speakers because it like it's like following them from like left to right. So you can kind of see it's doing like a circular pattern, like really stalking its prey, right? Right. And they're trying to joke and like talk about it. And he's like, nice doggy. <laughs> like
3: mm-hmm. as
1: you would in this, they're very just they're just they're so screwed at this point. Like they're lost, it's raining, it's cold, it's disgusting. And here you have this thing just really coming down on them. And I really like that the film for most of the runtime they really obscure the werewolf, right? Less is a lot more in what this thing really looks like. Mm -hmm. And when it does happen, I mean, Oh God, poor Jack, dude, this thing tears him up. Right. I mean, just like really shreds him to pieces.
0: When David runs too, Mm -hmm. that's what probably anybody Mm -hmm. would do. But what's important is they reel the likability back in with the character because after 50 yards, whatever, he turns around and returns to his buddy because he realizes what he's done. He's just left him there. Yeah. So there's some loyalty there, but it's also an acknowledgement of in this terrible, terrible event that this wolf is devouring your friend. Of course you're going to run. Yeah. Frankly, neither one of those are good options because when he finishes your friend, that dog's going to track you down in a quick second. Uh, yeah. But you've got to go back and at least check on your buddy. So yeah, you
1: can't go out the coward's way if, Right. there's if you still
0: there's a hope to save his life and not just
1: Jack's dead man.
0: <laughs> the villain runs the hero comes back yeah so good job to for John Landis to recognize that and bring him back because those two do keep the friendship and it's an important role in the rest of the film.
1: Yeah absolutely. And so the wolf attacks David but before it can strike the killing blow, the townspeople <laughs> heroically do come to the rescue and blow this wolf away. And I love the transition of, you know, David kind of looks in this, like, kind of, like, weekend haze, and he kind of sees this, this man there, right, with all the bullet wounds, and he's like, oh, that's, that's weird.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and then he, he's, like, asleep for, like, three weeks, right? Wakes up three weeks later, he's in the London hospital, and we got our, all our hospital staff. Jenny Agater is nurse Alex Price, and John Woodvines, this doctor who is just like up to here with the medical establishment, right? He's so angry and cantankerous, and we'll talk about some of his outfit choices a little bit later. (laughs) But, yeah, again, fish out of water. Like, I'm asleep for this long. What the hell's happened? Jack died. They had a funeral for him already. Does my family know about my whereabouts? The embassy's trying—Frank Oz, the embassy, we're trying to get—Mr. Kessler— Mr. Kessler, what are you trying to call now, Mr. Kessler? Trying to get some word on, like, what's happened to their son, right? I mean, there's a lot just, like, that's happened in that time span. But I really like these hospital scenes. I like what that it, what it's trying to establish is, A, the lycanthropy, mm-hmm. uh, what's going to be happening, the nightmarish visages of what he's dreaming about and thinking about, and then this kind of burgeoning little relationship that he strikes with Nurse Price, right? Mm-hmm. It all kind of works on, on, on different different levels here. Do you think, do you like the addition of this kind of romance element? I mean, these films all have that, right?
0: I do. Yeah. For a guy who's had a terrible, terrible time in his journey in Europe, one of the things that really works out for David is Nurse Price. She's awesome. We talk about that. Talk about hitting a home run. Uh, she's so cute in
1: this movie. Oh, yeah. man. Like, and then her domestic life. Like, She's got movie posters. Yep. And this, the image of her the, her wearing his NYU shirt is just like,
0: oh, my God, like, just, just stay here, man. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you got it made.
0: You have found the perfect girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. And uh, because they're so good together, it, I think, works twofold. Number one, it makes you root for them as a couple, which we know sooner or later he's going to wolf out, and because she's closest in proximity, you're worried about her a little bit. But second, it also allows you to get into the relationship a little bit, which then dials down the elements of horror that are heightened when he wolfs out later. Mm-hmm. So kind of made an offhanded comment about the Paul Verhoeven sex scene that's in this film. Oh, yeah. It's handled really, really well. Yeah. Shot really nicely. And they look quite lovely together.
1: Look, I'm not a big Van Morrison guy, but I love the use of moon dance in that scene.
0: Yeah. It, like, really works. I'm with you on the Van Morrison thing either, and it does work. You're right. Yeah. So as nice as they look together, I think where that really does work is when you see him without her and what he becomes and how horrific (laughs) that is. Mm -hmm. Because in both cases, Jesse, he's naked. Yeah. One of them's, like I said, lovely or beautiful or whatever you want to call it, and the other one's horrific. Yeah. So there's beastly. Ni- yeah. Mm-hmm. there's a nice parallelism going on there. And I think it's because of her, you know, what's really great about her too. And it reminds me about uh, the karate kid actually in mm-hmm. Elizabeth shoe.
1: Is that no matter how much this guy screws up or how crazy his babbling is about seeing his dead friend and wanting to turn into wolf, she's like still standing by his side, right? Yeah. I mean, there's like the loyalty with her is like really cool. And that's how Allie is in Karate Kid. You're right. Daniel Russo's is a joke in that movie. And she's just like, I still like you.
0: <laughs> it's good said. So yeah.
1: I think, yeah, it's handled really well. Um, good said. I meant well said. Yeah. Good said. Good said. Good grammar. Mm. <laughs> but... I really like these little nightmare scenes he has, too, where there's one where he's running naked through the woods and he chomps on a deer, and then the other where he sees himself in a hospital bed and then he's like wolf face. And then the one that is just, I think, genius because it completely disarms the audience. And maybe I think that's when horror and comedy can work really well tandem together is when you really allow the audience to let their guard down with something outrageous. And then you really shock them, which is, you think Kessler has gone home, right? And he's working, they're watching the Muppets. Speaking of Frank Oz, yeah. Uh, doing he's doing his college work or just something. And then they get a knock at the door, and a fucking Nazi werewolf army just comes and guns down everybody, uh-huh. kids included, uh-huh. and torches the place. Like the audience must just be like, What is happening here? And then they slit his throat, and he wakes up, and he's like, Oh, wow, that was, that was a weird dream, terrible dream. Too much MSG last night. Mm. Uh, <laughs> And then she's like, Oh, David, you're awake. So it's just like, I know just the fix. Let me draw the shades and we'll cure that little nightmare for you. And then the Nazi werewolf goes and like stabs her to The the, the, the dream within a dream double jump scare. I'd never seen that before prior to this film. So mm-hmm. at that point, can you trust Landis like Landis in like the the jumps? I mean, you really have to be on your guard now because like you don't know when he's gonna pull a fast one on you. I think that scene's genius. And whether you you buy the comedy of that scene. I think it's a pretty good little little double reveal there.
0: Well, the fact that she gets stabbed and that's the biggest moment of them also tells us that we've bought into her. Mm-hmm. And it is because she is so grounded and tough-skinned but ridiculously loyal. I mean, look yeah. at the guy that she's with. Yeah, he's a basket case now. He is. Yeah. He's a mess. He keeps having these terrible dreams. He keeps having these crazy rants about his dead friend. He gets up in the middle of the night. He's, he's a lunatic. Mm-hmm but I think she sees through that piece of him to the goodness that's inside and that then also plays to the werewolf motif to me I, I'm always interested in werewolf movies to when our our character becomes the werewolf yeah if it chose to be if it's going to be shown in a bipedal way or on all four feet if it's on all four feet I always tend to lean to a much more primal and simple animalistic state yeah if it's Lon Chaney Jr. or Michael Jackson or Benicio, Benicio Del Toro, yeah. that's a little bit more complex, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because it's not quite all the way to Animal. And so if it's on two feet, then I tend to say, well, maybe it still has some acknowledgement of opposable thumbs and rational thought. Yeah, rationality. And that creates a much, much different werewolf villain. And frankly more terrifying for me yeah i had never
1: seen a four i kind of always thought all werewolves because you know i saw the wolfman mm-hmm. lon cheney jr at an early age so i kind of always thought they were all bipedal and it was this film was the first time i ever saw i was like oh no like it could be on all fours mm-hmm. as well i think they both scare me right yeah i mean this isn't just like later he's going to be in the zoo cage with actual wolves This thing has that thing beat, man. This thing's gigantic. It's got a face of a nightmare. Uh, I don't think I want to run into either one of them. Mm -hmm. But you could talk about the carnal instincts of that type of werewolf if it's more beast than man. Yeah. I think that in part's pretty horrific, right? I mean, our horror villains usually have some sense of rationality of what they're doing and their intent, right? When Michael Myers goes and kills people, he's crazy, right? This is a crazy so- psychopath, and he he knows what he's doing for the most part. When you wolf out like this version, and you wake up and have no memory, that's also horrifying of, sure. gosh, well, what kind of carnage did I lay at my feet in the last 12 hours, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they they both work for me. And I, I like that this particular subset of monster kind of has that, uh, you know, those options, right? You can do a bipedal, you can do a four-legged one, and kind of play around with what that means for the audience. You often describe the Hulk and the werewolf as being very similar, right? Yeah. Um, this would be a good opportunity. I mean, like, I really like how they portrayed the Hulk in the first Avengers film, right? Mm-hmm. Very much like a werewolf. Can't be stopped, can't be reasoned with. He's destroying the carrier right? Mm-hmm. Uh, now the Hulk is way too rational, right? <laughs> and degloved. <laughs> Professor Hulk. <laughs> oh, fuck Professor Hulk. Right, it's bad. But I kind of like that animalistic instinct with these characters, and then when Banner wakes up after his, especially in the Fregno show, right? Mm-hmm. When he would return to Bill Bixby, be like, yeah, just like you were like fighting a bear a second ago. It's <laughs> just like, yeah. you've been doing the craziest things than when you hulked out. Right. I think it'd be horrifying not to remember, right? Yes. Short-term memory
0: loss? Yikes. The complete betrayal of your body, mm-hmm. and then with no acknowledgement or recognition or remembrance of what it did with the most extreme consequences slaughtering people and you wake up and you just sort of feel as he said after the first time he comes back from the werewolf side to the human side he feels like a million bucks he feels athletic and strong and Mm. amorous and like a new man yeah like Goldblum after the fly right I was gonna just say that yeah yeah it's very Goldblum-esque the question then is is it because he's released this is, doc, this is Jekyll and Hyde too. Yep. Is it because he's released the savage part that society has made you suppress? Yeah. And so because of that now, because mm-hmm. as Anthony Hopkins says so poorly in The Wolfman, <laughs> let the beast run free, the beast will have his day, all that nonsense. How disappointing is that movie Too Wildly. Oh, man. That's I'm the most s- disappointing Academy Award winning film ever, Jesse. Because
1: Baker won again, right? Yes. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. I remember sitting there I'm wanting to love that film and I was just like, man, I can't like,
0: all the shit this thing's turning into. Trash. Oh, that should have been a winner, right? So you, you let this thing out and you exercise those repressed urges? Yeah. And no, that's good. feel better. Yep. Now, the question is, in the desires that are sated as a werewolf, how much harm did you you know, spend or subject mankind to? And the answer is significant. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. When he comes back, and Nurse Price is always into him. Mm-hmm. Like you said earlier, like they're so hot for each other in this movie, and they are from the the word go. Yeah. When he is post wolf back to normal David, yeah. I think that's as happy as she is with him the whole film. They're in the cab and he's got his hands all over and he's kissing her and she's loving it. Until the realization, right? That's also troubling because yeah. I like this guy anyway, but I really like this big ball of energy guy now. Mm -hmm. But the reason he's this big ball of energy is I don't know why until I actually see him as a werewolf. And it plays into her really, really importantly. And I've come to this conclusion about this film. The reason that this is arguably the greatest werewolf film that's ever been made, you can argue with the Wolfman, the original Mm -hmm. it's because of her. Yeah. As great as Lon Chaney Jr. is and as good as Gwen Conliff is. I think Chaney Jr. is a better Wolfman than David is as Wolfman, but she's a better love interest than Gwen Conliff is. She's such a solid sounding board Mm -hmm. and steady, rock solid, smart. And that part, which we're going to get to, the alias, I don't want to get to it yet, but we'll get to it. That says so much about her. Mm Um. Yeah, she's a good anchor to
1: this film, like really kind of keeping one foot in like this realism of human emotions,
0: right? A terrific foil. I a mean, matter of fact, when he comes back from the wolf side, yeah, he says, can't we go back to your apartment and just have a quickie? And you can see her kind of like, yeah. Well, yeah, why don't we? Yeah, let's
1: do it. I mean, she like divulges her whole uh, partner history to him. Yeah. Like all cards on the table, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I, she really works in this thing. But let's talk about something. We really like this in films. Let's talk about the rules, Matt. Mm.
2: David! What? Now, I'm really sorry to be upsetting you, but I have to warn you. Warn me? We were attacked by a werewolf. I'm not listening to this. On the moors, we were attacked by a lycanthrope, a werewolf. I was murdered, an unnatural death, and now I walk the earth in limbo until the werewolf's curse is lifted. Shut up. The wolf's bloodline must be severed. The last remaining werewolf must be destroyed. It's you, David. What? Please believe me. You'll kill people. Nurse! Listen to me! Nurse! The supernatural, the power of darkness, it's all true. The undead surround me. Have you ever talked to a corpse? It's boring. I'm lonely. Take your life, David. Kill yourself. Before you kill others. Please don't cry.
1: In some weird, messed up, alternative version of Christmas Carol... David's visited by his buddy Jack in a very decrepit state. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk a lot about Rick Baker's makeup here in a second, but I think untalked about with this film is how good Jack looks through three different iterations or how bad he looks, right? This torn up piece of flesh that he comes and tells him the rules of what just happened. He's like, yeah, we were talking about werewolf, and now I'm stuck in some sort of weird werewolf hell, purgatory, werewolf purgatory, until your blood until you die and then that wolf's bloodline is severed. Man to landis like we had never come across anything like that in werewolf films before and like if that's mm-hmm. just germane to this film so be it but I think that's a really good way to establish some ground rules of this is how this is going to work and man like you're going to be seeing all these corpses uh you're going to be seeing your wake right I think it's really good and I, I love that he's like some like re- weird, messed up like version of Christmas Carol and Ebenezer Scrooge's journey, right? Ghosts of Christmas Pass and all that shit. Uh and Jack's just gonna be like this kind of harbinger of doom for him and just telling him, It's gonna happen unless you kill yourself. So what are you gonna do? Um still trying to be as friendly with him and they're still having their little sticky banter and all that, but what do you think of that? Is, is this a good way to go about
0: like laying down the, the rules? If you can't remember the terrible things that you've done, then it's easy to absolve yourself of them because you have the benefit of doubt. Yeah. Jack's a great mirror. And so it's his best friend who he's watching go through this terrible transformation in these three visits. And a constant reminder of the burden that David now has to carry because he is going to leave others in that same state. So the solution is, do yourself in, and you break this, and guess what? I get to finally stop living the life of the undead. I get to finally be done with this. And it's funny. He says, you've ever talked to a corpse? It's boring. Of all the things you would say that's not disgusting or boring or scary, it's boring, right? The weight of this is immense for David. The
1: guilt of running away, right?
0: If it's true, mm-hmm. this is going to go back to nurse price. If it's true that he really does love her as quickly as he claims, I think that puts the possibility that she might be in the same situation as Jack. Mm. If he's not careful eventually as well. Yeah. So all around him, the walls are closing in, even though he can't remember. And then think about that for a man who's questioning his sanity for most of the film post, war. Initial wolf attack. Yeah. Do you believe that? I I mean, at this point, I don't have any reason to believe that I'm going to wolf out because I haven't seen it. So other than these things on my body healing, maybe kind of quick and some weird nightmares, which could just be stress induced. Yeah. I don't know if I buy any of this bullshit except werewolf bullshit. Here's this fucking corpse that keeps showing up.
1: If you came to me and you're all torn up and you're like laying down the like the gist of it all. Yeah, that's going to, like, scare me straight, man. Yeah. yeah.
0: All of a sudden, you can't just, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Oh, I don't. Mm, I, mm. We, the MRI reveals that the spot is more than just a spot, if you catch my drift. And yeah. It's serious. Yeah. And we get the rule of three, right? I have all mm-hmm. three of them here.
1: Good.
2: What are you doing here? I wanted to see you. Hi, David. Put that down. Okay, you've seen me, now go away. I'm sorry I'm upsetting you, David, but you don't understand what's going on. I understand, all right. You're one of the undead, and I'm a werewolf. Yes, that's right. Get out of here, Jack. Tomorrow night's the full moon. You're gonna change. You'll become- I know, I know, a monster. You've got to kill yourself, David, before it's too late. Are you really dead, Jack? What do you think? I think I've lost my mind. I think you're not real. I think you're just another part of a bad dream. You've got to believe me, David. Believe what? That tomorrow night, beneath the full moon, I'll sprout hair and fangs and eat people? Bullshit. Oh, God damn it, David. Please believe me. You kill and make others like me. I'm not having a nice time here. You've got to take your own life. I will not accept this. Go away. David? This is not pretend, David. I will not be threatened by a walking meatloaf.
1: So, what happens when Jack returns a second time, looking a whole lot worse for wear? Dude, he comes in looking like Thriller, right? <laughs> he's like, he's got the Thriller makeup now. Yeah. And I love the little detail. I just like love how omnipresent this like ghoul, ghost, werewolf, purgatory is. But like. Jack opens up the bedroom door and takes a little peek in and he's like good for he's almost like good for you David right <laughs> it's so
0: silly. Look what you've scored buddy good
1: yeah, job He's just like so aware of the world that he's walking in this weird limbo state and just totally deteriorating as time goes on I mean he's just going to be a skeleton pretty soon but yeah the other harbinger of doom tomorrow night's the full moon if you don't do it now you'll see and I I told you so so right
3: Mhm
1: Really good I just like the makeup's really good here, but, yeah, I love that we're getting it again to just really remind us, yeah, like, we're in for it. It's coming up, and, like, are you better be ready for it. Um, So then, you know, Nurse Price has to work the graveyard shift. She's going to leave David alone, and he's just like, yeah, let me occupy myself. And I love this little sequence. Again, to another song for a band I know you don't love, but I love its use here, which is Bad Moon Rising by CCR. And There's some of their stuff that I love, love. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay, keep it. They, it's yes. kind of overplayed, right? Yes. Much like Van Halen, as we discussed a few times ben, ago. A band I don't love. I know. Yeah. It's just they just play those hits too much, and there's some better, deeper cuts. But this little montage of him trying to occupy time before the night, right? Yeah. Dude, it, David, spent, when I have a day off, this is what I do. Because you look forward to a day off for so long that you don't know what to do with your time once you have it. Yeah. Do I sit and read a book? Do yeah, I watch?
0: So true. Do Doesn't I watch a suck? movie?
1: It does. Shit. Like you have all these things. You have all these video games to play. All these books to read. All these films to watch. And yeah, I'm just like just like walking around the house,
0: binging Who Killed Sarah?
1: Yeah, something like that. And like, I just like just different things. Walking that Yeah, just like yeah. Maybe I'll go do this. Maybe I'll go do that. Yeah. Or maybe I'll go outside for a bit, and then essentially do what David does here. So it's like you can kind of see the unease in him. Maybe I'll take a nap. Maybe I'll eat something out of the fridge, but not hungry. I'm not tired let me just wait around. I'll read this book, I guess. And we're going to get the moment here in a second. Can I say something about that? Yeah.
0: Okay. I think you're onto something here.
3: Yeah.
0: If when the man goes through the lycanthropic process and becomes wolf, the wolf needs to exist in a pack. Yeah. That's a pack animal. So in isolation with no one to do anything with. They do a great job of showing because he is a werewolf already, everybody. Even yeah. though he hasn't turned, he is a werewolf. Yeah, he's got it in his system. Yeah, no. it's running through his veins. Yeah. How frustrated and lonely and misbegotten, directionless he is. Yeah. The second thing that needs to happen with wolves is Alpha and Mate. Mm-hmm. So Nurse Price fills two very important roles for him. Number one, it starts to present the opportunity for mate and later on possibly pack. Mm -hmm. But even if it's not sexual, then it's the companionship that wolves need. So the frustration that he's going through... Mm I think plays really, really well because like you said, we've all been there and those days off, I end up making it to the gym and maybe I run an errand and it's three o'clock already and I'm just waiting for my wife to get home because I miss her.
3: Yeah.
0: Man, he doesn't even make it to the gym.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
0: He's so lost. He wanders outside. He freezes. He tries to read Connecticut Arthur, Connecticut. um, Yankee. Yankee and King Arthur's Court. Mm Mm-hmm. Tries to watch some television show that's dart oh, throwing. Oh my god!
1: Yeah, just like yeah, Naughty, Naughty Sarah, Naughty, Naughty Nina, or Naughty whatever. it's <laughs> uh, Confessions, right? Yeah, taxi cab confessions. Jesus Christ!
0: Just trash. Yeah, and that plays so well because mm-hmm. one of the things that the werewolf struggles from is when it be- when man becomes the wolf, you have to follow what the wolf does, and that's consume, that's run in a pack, and that's reproduce, and probably protect your territory. Yeah. And most of the time, what it just devolves into is consumption. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying I want to watch some werewolf mating with, like, I, I'm not getting into that either. That's yeah. not what it, but. That's the howling. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It is the howling. Yeah. That's a movie that I'm going to pick later. Yeah. I'm just kidding. It's not. I do, um, I do
1: have a soft spot for that movie, too. It's totally different than this, this
0: beast. I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. Yeah. So all of that stuff that you just set up with the boredom of the singularity of the day. Think about how compounded that is because we're not wolves, Jesse. We're humans. Yeah. But he is wolf. Yeah. And what we're doing, and I don't know if Landis knew this or it just worked out by luck. I'd like to give him credit and say that he knew this. Yeah. It's creating a better fleshed out character yeah. that makes more sense when it becomes the wolf.
1: Yeah. And he's really baiting the audience at this point. He's really disarming them with this kind of With this kind of upbeat song and this kind of like rigmarole of I'm still not hungry. Like he's really kind of preparing us for what we're about to dive into, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the transformation. Um, I'm going to play a little clip of the audio, but I do have to say of I had a time machine and I could go back. There's a couple film moments I would like to see just to see how audiences responded to uh, the chestburster. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opening scene of Jaws, uh, Luke, I am your father. And then I would like to be in the audience for this because prior to 81 and what Rick Baker and Landis are about to do with this scene, I don't think anyone had ever seen anything like this. So mm-hmm. let me play the clip. Alone
3: Jesus Christ! I let
1: God, alone, God!
3: Lord, without a love, without Oh, oh without I'm Help me! Please! Help
2: me! Help me! I didn't
1: mean to call you me meatloaf, Jack! So when you, we watched it, and when you hear that, What's the
0: first thing that goes through your mind? Terrible, terrible pain. Yeah. That's your body ripping, your bones breaking. Your body forming a new body, right? What happens? Yeah, it's one thing to have some hair grow out of you. It's another thing when your face becomes misshapen to that of a dog. Yeah. How does it go back? Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah, I think that was that was Landis' and Rick Baker's goal from the onset was, like, we want to do a transformation, and we want to sh- actually physically show as much of it as we can, but we want to do it in, like, harsh lighting. Like, we want to see it. Mm-hmm. Back in the day with Jack Pierce's makeup with Lon Chaney Jr. and the original Wolfman, I mean, they had to do that time-lapse dissolve, right, where Lon Cheney Jr. had to sit in that chair for, like, eight hours, right? <laughs> And then Baker or uh, Jack Pierce would come and put a little bit more hair on the foot and the this and that. And he just has to stay still. So there's not a lot of fluidity with that type of transformation. And so as he, and I love, I, I, again, I love it too for its own different aesthetic. Mm-hmm. But that was what stuck out to me was just like, gosh, this, like, it would be painful, right? Becoming another visage, a, a wolf specifically in this film, yeah, it's going to hurt. Yeah. That's one thing I think the, Hulk, Mark Ruffalo, that they could have leaned into a little bit more because it's the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. He's becoming this gigantic behemoth. That's going to suck, right? Yeah. Man, it's just like the, the different pieces, the hand growing, the things on the back, which one of the... Because And the real genius in this is the editor, is the way he cuts all of this together, is it's so seamless of a transition from each advancing piece of the wolf
0: body. Is there a part of it that like really sticks out to you? Like... His hand, his elongated hand yeah. is terrible.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: The back is bad too, because, you know, if you've ever had back pain, you know that that can be just about the worst thing ever. Yeah, But watching your hand become three times the size that it is. Mm-hmm. And then if that's not enough, watching the tips of your fingers split so that these claws, claws can come out. Mm-hmm. Every bit of that is pain.
1: You know, which part I think is really remarkable is, uh, the hair follicles that are like wisping yeah. and growing and they i think they just blew some air through like some hair on on the body some prosthetic hair and then they shot it in reverse so it looks like it's shooting out instead of wisping <laughs> down yeah and then it's the face right like that's the moment where they have this like face mold where they're able to stick a hand through it and push this piece through <laughs> and it looks like this snout is growing oh my remarkable right dude yeah. baker's a genius yeah he always dude that guy has like another six oscars too right deserves every one of them uh this is and they they created probably they saw this and they were like man we got to just come up with a whole new oscar best makeup category and this was the first winner of that award right rightly i think deservedly so yeah yeah that's snout like pushing forward and then like And then, like, we like Landis, like, shows like the pan real slow of what the wolf looks like, and still doesn't fully show us what it looks like. He's still withholding that info from us. And then we get again the rule of three we're gonna get three separate attacks for three different, like, kind of class systems, right? Mm. Of different people. Mm. And one's a little more jokey it's this couple that's gonna sneak up for this dinner party, and they just get torn to shit. And then the second one's this like hobo village. <laughs> and man, these homeless guys don't stand a chance. I love the little line from that old guy when they let the dog go and they hear the, the howl. And he goes, That's not Winston. Yeah, no shit. It's this big bear that's gonna come tear you up. Yeah. And the the little cut of the wolf growl and the tube. Growing. Like, I mean, Landis is just using every trick in the book to just not show us what we want to see. Mm-hmm. And so it's frustrating, but it's also, I love it. It's it's why Alien works so well is like, we're not going to fully show you the beast and just let you think about what's going on here. Yeah. And then the guy in the tube, right in the subway, you're never going to recognize this guy, but you know who that guy is? You know who he played? Ooh. He plays Bib Fortuna in Return of the Jedi.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. yeah.
1: Mr. Snake Neck. Oh, wow. In, in that. So... This huh. was, this remember I told you, you asked when was the first or how many times have you seen this? And I told you I was like, Yeah, I'm like in the forties probably. Yeah. Uh but the first time I saw it was like eight or nine on sci-fi channel. I caught it like in the middle. And this was the scene that stuck out to me was this guy getting chased first person POV through the the subway system here. And that above shot of him on the escalator with a busted face, right? Mm. And then the wolf like Kind of slowly starts walking towards him, and you get it for like a second, and then he cuts away to POV. Right, yeah. that's like enough of a teaser. Like, yeah, this guy's gonna get it right.
0: That's the first time we see the full wolf the body. Yeah, and even that's not a great long look. It's you get it, but it's about a second, maybe a second.
1: Yeah.
0: Look, man, we've talked about this a million times when it comes to sex and when it comes to horror on yeah. the screen. Yeah, less well, this is, is more. Yeah. That, what else can we say? There's
1: a good evidence of that.
0: Case in point. Mm-hmm.
1: So he wakes up in the zoo, right? And mm-hmm. it's just like, so then I asked you, because we had a good combo a few weeks back in Zombie about, man, you couldn't pay me enough to fight a shark in zombie makeup underwater. I'm like, and I'm here with you on this one. It was like, I'm not about to get naked with real wolves in a zoo cage, right? Mm-hmm. going to just like chomp down on me. And dude, to David Notton's credit, I mean, just he's like full frontal. He's just like jumping and leaping and... They get some nice comedy out of this bit of the little red coat he gets and the balloons he steals from that kid. Naked American man stole my balloons. What? Yeah. <laughs> really good use of comedy, but
0: we're settling in here for the final thing. I uh, think that's important, though. Yeah,
1: disarm us a little bit. Get us, uh, make us comfortable again.
0: That's another element of the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. Now, the Wolfman movie with Del Toro and Hopkins actually handles this pretty well because when he wakes up, he's covered in blood. Yeah. But in this particular case, if you've stripped down, which is what he does before he wolfs out in Nurse Price's apartment, you return to that normal state. Look, man, you want to talk about horrific, Jesse. Mm -hmm. I'm going to steal all your clothes and throw you in the middle of the town square and tell you to get home. Yeah. That's embarrassing. (laughs) Embarrassing. That's also body horror. And it's not because it's betrayed. Mm -hmm. It's because it's so right. So, and then you're not at some sequestered little secluded place. Of course. Like, and again, if you were a werewolf, where would you go to seek solitude or camaraderie with a den of wolves? Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. He can wake up with the chimps.
1: Those wolves are probably like, oh my God, what the hell is this thing? Exactly. Can you just imagine that gigantic thing strolling in there
0: at the end of the night? We know who's <laughs> the leader of this pack. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Alpha male. So he wakes up. <laughs> like how the wolves look at him like, man, what happened? You're ruined. <laughs> You're so good looking a little while ago. but And, and to David Naughton's credit, mm-hmm. this is what, 82? One. Dude, we've got a lot of full frontal here. Yeah. So
1: a lot of side penis and everything just like jump in some pubes
0: man. to John Landis's credit. If you're gonna go, do go. it, yeah, do it, do yeah. it. Yeah. Uh because that is something that is a very unfortunate mm-hmm. consequence to the wolfman. man. Now your body's gonna hurt. I don't believe your face would go back to normal. You can only tear flesh so many times, but you have to get David Norton back to looking like David, so I get that. Yeah. But and the Hulk does this fairly well too, mm-hmm. comedically in the first the first film also. Can you have do I have some clothes? Do you have something I can wear? Yeah. Yeah, him it's get awesome. him getting back
1: to the apartment is pretty is pretty great. It's just like, I'm gonna wear this dress. I don't care if people look at me weird. Again, the fish out of water. Everyone looking you at you as a foreigner because of how weird you're looking as
0: an American, right? So I have to tell you a story. One night, me and a couple of my friends decided we were gonna go pool <clears throat> jumping. Okay. It was in the fall, so it wasn't even particularly warm. But we found this what seemed to be rather sleepy apartment complex. And we hopped the fence. We jumped in the back and thought it was time to and swimming. Strip and jump. Sure enough. Yeah. And no sooner did we hit the water than all of the courtyard lights came on. And that old lady, what are you doing in the pool? So my buddy jumps out because he was going to hightail it. And she said... He doesn't have his clothes on. And no sooner did the, it was right out of Umi. It's like light, 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 oh, light, geez. light, light. And it's like
1: it's like a National Lampoons Vacation. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Swimming Christy Brinkley. <laughs> it is like that. So he grabbed his pants and he hauled ass. And me and my other buddy were a little slower to get out of the water just because at least in the water I was sort of covered. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to get out. Yeah. And you have to get out pretty soon because security's coming. And ultimately you just you just go. Got to show the world what God gave you. Yeah. And it's my own fault. And it was just a stupid yeah. thing that, you know, you do because you're young, I guess. But could you imagine if that was every single month? And here's the thing about it. I mean, at the pool, I knew where my clothes were. They were just over there by the diving board or whatever, the the ladder. I just had to pick them up. And you wake up with nothing. Yeah, Nothing.
1: The only advantage is this kind of renewed vigor that he has, right? Thank God for something. This animal <laughs> ferocity. Yeah. He, can just, he just wants the quickies
0: 24-7. If you run through the town naked, you're probably getting arrested. Yeah. And if he gets arrested, then all the cops and all the other things that he's done comes into play. Like this just, it's one problem after another because of this. Well, that's what happens. I mean, you know, the guilt kind of gets the better of him when the cabbie is like six,
1: this monster tore him apart. And he's like, stop the car. Jack was right. Like I need to be arrested. I need to be locked up. Uh, and I love this scene where he goes to this, guard that's trying to take a picture of these two little girls. Yeah. And he's like, I oh, want you to arrest me. I killed those people last night. And then like the mother's like, get over here. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's like, he's like Shakespeare's French. Winston Churchill was full of shit. He's just like trying to like slay all the British lingo that he knows. Right. And yeah. to get arrested. And this guy just like, yeah, you're not really doing anything for me to arrest you. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is when he says, I love you, Alex. And it's like, and it's because I love you. It's just like, you just got to stay as far away from me as possible because I don't want to hurt you. And he just takes off. He just run, runs away. So I think it's really good. And then the phone call home has always been a particularly interesting ste- scene for me too because that's like calling home. I was want to make peace with my loved ones. And what happens is mom and dad are out. Max is playing in the back and he only gets to talk to his 10-year-old little sister, right? And he's got to kind of lay it all out of like tell mom and dad I love them. Don't fight with Max. I love the both of you. But he can't tell him why, right? Mm-hmm. So that's uh, kind of sad. It is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That he and then he didn't even get to talk to his parents too. It's just like the daughter's gonna have to relay that
0: information and then hear about like afterwards that he killed himself in a phone booth. A couple sad goodbyes he gives here too, because really mm-hmm. this is the last time he talks to Alex too. Mm-hmm. Basically says I love you, kisses her, and then runs off. And they don't really speak in the human form the rest of the film again. Yeah, sad. Yeah. What's sadder? Is it sadder? that in the state of lycanthropy, you are essentially doomed to a life of isolation to protect those that you care about? Or is it sadder that you have this burden of guilt that's going to burden that's going hinder you in, in your existence the rest of your well, days? Well, it's the Spider-Man
1: effect, right? It I is. think it's the burden that's more tragic is, unless I do something about this or put my powers to good... I got to live with this curse. Shit, at least
0: Spider-Man was doing good. This is not doing good.
1: uh, Only when Spider-Man becomes Man Spider, (laughs) right? Right. That's some crazy shit. Uh, No, I like this. This has to be the reversal recognition of the film. This is actually, I think, a really good screenplay mm -hmm. uh, because this is the hero realizing, I need to do something about this, right? All this up to this, all of Jack's warnings and all his activity, he's kind of just like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but now he's like, I really need to do something about this before it's too late. And then where do we do it? In a porno video. <laughs> so see you rough. next Wednesday. Uh, okay, let me play this now. Jack number three. I want you to meet some people.
2: David Kessler, this is Gerald Bringsley. Gerald's the man you murdered on the subway. We thought it best for you not to see him, as he's a fresh kill and still pretty messy. Oh. Yes, I do look most unpleasant. Why are you doing this to me? This isn't Mr. Goodman's idea. He's your good friend, whereas I am a victim of your carnivorous lunar activities. Mr. Bringsley, I'm sorry. I have absolutely no idea what to say to you. You've left my wife a widow, and my children fatherless. And I understand I am to walk the earth in limbo one of the living dead, until the wolf's bloodline is severed and the curse lifted. You must die, David Kessler.
3: Mm.
2: David, this is Harry Berman and his fiance Judith Browns. Hello.
3: Hello.
2: And these gentlemen are Alf, Ted, and Joseph. Can't say we're pleased to meet you, Mr. Kessler. What shall I do? Suicide. You must take your own life. That's easy for you to say you're, you're already dead. No, David.
1: It's a pretty great scene, right? It's a pretty great scene. There's something, this has to be the peak of Landis' use of comedy and something very horrific, which is here they, Jack is like, come into the theater and we'll have a little chit chat. And so they're sitting here watching this porno, and it's the worst porno that's ever been made. See you next Wednesday. And I love this series. Like, this guy comes in. And he's like, I told you not to be doing any of this be- anymore. I don't even know you. I've never seen you before in my life. Oh, get on with it. and just
0: Sure, continue. listen, leaves and doesn't join in and make a threesome. What the hell kind of porno is this? But
1: they just continue. Like, right, I know. No, like, that wasn't, like, the weirdest thing that, it, like, it ever happened. Right. And I love David notton leans over and is like, good movie. Yeah. <laughs> Jack's like, <laughs> yeah. God. So they're having this very serious conversation about, right. you left my wife a widow and my children fatherless because of your carnivorous lunar activity. What a great line, by the way. Mm-hmm. Interspersed with, oh, uh, <laughs> so good, man. It's just, it's the balance, right? It's just like, this is ridiculous and we know it's ridiculous, but we're going to lean into
0: it and still try and be as serious as possible. I love that in that state, everybody's reduced to urges. Yeah. From the characters on the film they're watching to the decaying friend that's sitting next to you. Oh, yeah. Jack's like full-on like skeletal puppet at this point. (laughs) To the states of domestication that he sees down the way with Mm -hmm. the three older men that let's just say widows for this argument. And then the father who's now left a widow and children orphans. And then the couple that's going to eventually, it's sort of rear windowy—at the same way that Jimmy Stewart would look and see the different levels of like yeah. maturation. Everybody in this scene is reduced to this primal, primal, primal state. Like all the bullshit is gone. You mm-hmm. can't rationalize anything. You fucking killed every single one of us. Not only wrecked our lives, but wrecked the lives of the people that we love. And look at you still sitting here. Yeah. In the animal kingdom, there is some comeuppance coming for you. Yeah. Meanwhile, these people on the screen are doing the most. Pri- now it's it's funny because yeah. it is a terrible porno, and the, the sound on the as the backdrop for that is is hilarious. Mm-hmm. But that's funny because, yeah. as crazy as all of that is, it's based in reality. Yeah. All of those things are real actions. Yeah. And here you have David. At the precipice of all of these terrible, honest yeah. situations he's left everybody with, with the most basic, basic fundamental purpose. Yeah. Should I live or die? Yeah. That scene is, ge- they could have said that anywhere. They yeah. could have said it at a park, you know, a soccer game, Yep. a pub. Another pub, yeah. And in the porno theater, it's funny. In Piccadilly Circus, yeah. It's, just, it's genius. Yeah. Like you said, brilliantly. And again, I don't know if he just caught lightning in a bottle and I'm just reading too much into it because I'm a fan of this movie and I'm trying to build it up in my own mind. Or maybe he really did know. I think Landis is on to something. I do Because he grew up with
1: the same universal universal monsters that we really like. He probably really liked those orange-bound books that we read as well too. Yeah. But I also think he has a foot in the comedy world too if you look at something like Animal House and Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers. Mm-hmm. I think he kind of knows maybe better than anybody, maybe Sam Raimi included, of how to toy that line. Like, we're on a tightrope, right? And yeah. if we stumble too far, we're, we're, we're dying. We're crashing to the earth, right? Mm-hmm. And he's able to balance this thing with really intricate, uh, dramatic moments of people laying out like, you know, you got to die because you've left all this carnage in your wake. And then yeah, the, the sounds of this horrible porno over here. It's, it's great. It's just, Landis is on to something here. Yeah. So. Yeah. But it's too late. Full moon. He's wolfing out again. And man, it's we get another kind of semi-transformation. And the wolf goes to town on all the patrons, I imagine, in this porno theater. And then the cop that comes and finds him that is able to run away and then close the doors. And then what is about to happen is just so great. Blink and you're going to miss some just little genius moments here of... Piccadilly Circus Carnage, right? This police chief that's been uh, kind of following the case, they want to interview David about what happened there in East Proctor, shows up at the the boarded-up porno theater, and the wolf jumps through and just bites his head off. And so you got a head rolling down the street, the wolf chomping at everyone's legs, the bus crashes, people are flying through the bus, there's heads going through windshields, they're running over heads. I mean, it's just—it's chaos, right? Chaos. This roundabout, this very famous roundabout in London here, has turned into a literal circus, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, it has.
1: It's just—it's just—it's—it's it's comedic and horrific, right? I mm-hmm. mean, it's just like you're laughing at how
0: absurd it is, but like, man, there's nothing funny about a guy getting his head run over, right? <sighs> no, it's but he does it with the comedic flair because that's the most ridiculous pileup ever. Yeah. They just keeps crashing into. other somebody hit the brakes before you use them after you've hit the car in front of you? Oh, yeah. I love it.
1: Yeah, it's really good. A cop gets like kind of crushed by another car going like doing like a 180 or mm-hmm. some crazy shit and everything. But I kind of always pictured like David like really like hightails it out of Piccadilly Circus and into some derelict alleyway, almost like he's scared, right? That there's like so many people here and he's like just trying to get away from it all. And so he like runs and kind of hides himself in this back alleyway and it's kind of
0: dead end central here, right? Boy, and even that. Yeah. Eventually you run out of outs. Mm. So it struck me this time. I haven't seen this movie 40 times. This is yeah. the fourth time I've seen this movie. Yeah. But the fact that it takes place in an alley with nowhere to go, and he is basically just hiding kind of behind a trash can in the shadows with mm-hmm. nowhere else to go, yeah. is what's been happening to him from the moment he got wolfed out. And what Jack has tried to tell him over and over eventually this is going to happen yeah how much carnage are you going to spill how much blood are you going to spill before you come to the realization that we have to stop this yeah otherwise it's just going to keep going he's painted himself into a corner literal corner in the film yeah that's great this is the one time in screenwriting where you write yourself into a
1: corner and it's kind of okay right yeah (laughs) and you know what then i don't have to Mess around with some silly ass ending. You know where this is going. Oh yeah, the the, the wolf fight between Benicio and Anthony Hopkins. Dude, what is? Kick that? him into the
0: fire and he blows up like a stick of dynamite. Do
1: you like Teen Wolf? With my, I T. do Fox? actually. I do. I, I could use a little wolf. Well, he's not full wolf at the end basketball scene because he reverts back to Scott, right? So, like, right. Even though like that's a great ending to that movie, um, but Alex shows up right, and this is like maybe I can come through to him. Like they're going to shoot you down, David, unless you can. I can talk you down she's trying to talk down a beast, right? But there's that one moment where, like, when she says, I love you, and Rick Baker had to make a whole separate wolf head that, in like, realized that action, right? Because you see the nose go down and the eyes wide that he, like, understood that, right? Mm-hmm. But in his bestial carnal state, he leaps forward and they just gun him down, right? And that's it. Pretty good moment, right? It's like... And then this is where I was alluding to earlier where I was like, this film could go on for another five minutes where we find out Alex is... Of course, he's pregnant, right? With the wolf baby. Sure. Uh, and of course, this is going to continue and we got to really wrap things up and explain it. But man, like the second she walks down that aisle, there's like a minute of this movie left. I love you. Realization. Gun down. Looking at the his current state, which is body David with... Bullet holes, mm-hmm. and we cut to black. Man, to to the Marcel's Blue Moon, the upbeat version, right? Yep. Yeah, let's be done. The story's over. What do you think of the ending? I mean, it's fantastic. Just like, it's like it's you get all the little nuggets you need, and then like we're out before we even like have time to process
0: it at all. What's the runtime? One hundred five, one thirty seven. Yeah. So uh, this film, this film's lean. Perfect. Like, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. 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 Uh, do we really care where things are with <laughs> Alex? No. Uh, she's obviously sad. I no, I think we care, but like we well, don't need it. That's I, yeah, that's yeah, what I mean. That's yeah. better said. Yeah. What I and you know why you don't need it? Because this is the woman who broke through a line of cops that have the werewolf at guns at you know in the sights, mm-hmm. walks down the alley, the guns are to her back, and she doesn't blink. Yeah. I would suspect if I cared more about Alex's story going further she's going to be just fine and frankly I'm sort of surprised she was single anyway yeah because that's an awesome chick yeah but everything about Alex in that scene is exactly what we've seen Alex the whole way
1: yeah very consistent
0: she's just lucky those keystone cops didn't blast her when they fired those bullets at the werewolf good shot right thank god
1: and Landis does something I wish more horror films would do because I just I love this little coup de gras at the end of the film which is he ends the film and then we go to blue moon it's just like so jovial and happy when we just saw something so horrific like I wish more horror films would end with this like really throw the audience for a loophole like if like I'm trying to think of a good example but if like Midsommar ended with like the, the, just like some sort of jovial song, right? I mean, it's
0: just like it tonally couldn't get it right by the climax blues band.
1: Yeah. Something like that. Or like, uh, what's the song they use it in dumb and dumber, the flower girl. I saw the flower girl. Oh, doo-doo, yeah. Like if it ended like that and you disarm them and just like, now you have time to breathe and relax. Yeah. I think that's like very unutilized in horror. Cause usually they go to the credits and they play creepy music and you're just still like, it's like, That's true. So this film comes out in 1981, five million dollar budget, seventy million dollar gross. I mean, it's a pretty big hit. I think it's pretty well regarded, and like we said, Rick Baker takes home the Oscar, the first Oscar for best makeup in 1981. Uh and yeah, I mean, it's 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 a very lean film, uh, but I think it's a staple of this little subgenre of horror. Um, we'll talk a little bit about it, its its
0: placement a, a little bit here. But do you have anything else to to add to it or? No, I think everything I wanted to cover, we've hit pretty well. Yeah, no, I'm good. I think I think it's good.
1: Excellent. What was your favorite tasting note, or we've been doing favorite kill of American Werewolf in London?
0: I think the beginning when they're on the moors and the sound is just chasing them. I know it's going to happen. I've seen this movie plenty of times. But I was I was uh, irritated. Not irritated. I was anxious for mm-hmm. them. It's, it does a really good job of chasing them and audience also, the audience. yeah It's kind of terrifying. Mm-hmm. And if you put yourself in that situation, you know, we always talk about, well, just leave the haunted house or...
1: Yeah, how do you leave your lost... Middle of nowhere. an open field? Like, you're kind of at a disadvantage. Yeah. Again, the sheep to slaughter, right? There's
0: no cover anywhere. Yeah. You can't outrun this thing. It sees better than you. You've, you have no... Shot. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's a great opening. The, the The
1: inciting incident of this film is awesome. I mean, that happens. I think at minute thirteen when Jack is devoured. Like it's awesome. Like we just like we get to it right away. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna pick Bib Fortuna on the escalator because like that was like that above shot of this kind of a glance at what our monster is. And then we just go back to POV. It's just like, this guy's just paralyzed with fear. That's probably how I would be mm-hmm. seeing some sort of bear beast, like chasing me into the London tube. That sounds just awful. Like I'm fast, but like this thing is proving that like, you can't outrun this. This thing's a wolf, man. No way. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, give me a second here. But what is the oh my God! moment of, American Werewolf in London. Mm.
0: That's a good one, man. There's, there's like three or four that I'm, I'm sort of fighting with myself on this.
1: I'll go first. Uh I got to pick the transformation sequence. Yes, well, okay. Yeah. And then this is gonna sound crazy, but I think it's deservedly can be this. I. It's on par and equal to the chest-bursting scene in Alien. Like, it's it's that good. It's the way it's shot, the way it's cut together, the pain, the horror. Uh, as shocking as the chest-bursting scene is, there's more technical proficiency with this transformation that is just... It's the part everybody
0: remembers, right? Like, you wait for this one moment, and it does not disappoint. Okay, so... That was one of the ones obviously, I was thinking about. But I'm going to go with the other transformation scene in this film. And that's Jax. Yeah. And particularly the first arrival when he shows up and he still mostly looks human. I'd never really noticed how much dangling flesh oh, you're talking about the little, is flopping around his in little, his neck. His
1: little dangly piece. That's so good.
0: It's terrific makeup there, and visual
1: work there. Yeah. There was a cut scene where he actually, I think, eats some of the eggs and it like... Falls out the neck hole. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think they had to cut it because I think they got an X, man. So,
0: Oh, wow. that's What a stupid reason to give that film. That's awesome. That would have been
1: pretty cool, right? Yeah, and I think Rick Baker's understated in how he degrades Jack throughout the film. Yeah. Like, it's gruesome and really fresh and dangly and then really green and smelly. And then just he's full on just like skeletal corpse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, yeah. hi, David. <laughs> Come over here and meet me in this porno theater. Yeah.
0: On Wednesday. Good choice. Who's Here's the master here. distiller on American Werewolf in London? It's got to be Landis, written and directed. Uh, I asked you if David Naughton had anything else. You said you didn't see anything that he was in. He's probably made a few things here and there. Yeah, but, sure. But this is it. So it's hard to go with him, I guess, but Landis for sure kills it.
1: I think I got to go Landis too. I mean, this yeah. is a Rick Baker showcase, right? This is like world Rick Baker, right? Yeah. And then he's really going to get to showcase that here in our nightcap and really be known to the world. But yeah, it's got to be like you write this at 18 and then like really refine it over the next 12 years. So then when you're ready to go, you have a really solid story with likable protagonists, a pretty monstrous villain, and you just – everything's – and it's lean. Again, man, one thirty seven or hour 37, sign me up. It's just so – well paced through this whole thing. And then Alex said, just, he really knew how to write this female foil for David's character. Yeah. And she's really good too. And she, 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 her Jenny Agutter has had an interesting career of like kind of popping up in that thing. Like she was in child's play too. And she's been in this film and a lot more like English stuff. And she's in the Avengers. She's in, she's one of those, uh, you know, when Nick Fury's talking to, like, those that Stendril syndicate? Mm-hmm. She's one of those people, the talking heads. Oh, really? And then I think she comes back in Winter Soldier when they're, like, Storm and S.H.I.E.L.D., right? Mm. So she's had a pretty decent career, but, man, she's she's excellent in this thing. Excellent. She's, she's so good. Yeah. Hagin, a rate and grade American Werewolf in London. We have Rocket, Well, Call, Single Barrel,
0: and Top Shelf. Really tough franchise as far as werewolves. That's tough franchise. And this is number one or number two depending I think where you have the wolf man yeah this is top shelf yeah um it's a great film it's not perfect and we didn't get any of the little pieces that are not perfect but I love that it's lean I love that it gives me the story that I want I love that which is watching this man turn into wolf and deal with the ramifications of that mm-hmm. I love that even when we get the reveal or the change in Jenny's apartment or flat you still don't see what the full thing looks like. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Yeah. What do you think of that? We didn't talk about that shot, but when he's wolfing out and then for like two seconds, we cut to that little Mickey mouse on the mantelpiece again, disarming the audience of something safe, right? Mickey's safe. Yeah. And this wolf isn't safe. Like it's,
0: it's it's just a little moment there. Very clever. Yeah. Yeah, Yes. It's a remarkable film. It's entertaining. It's funny. it's, It's scary. Um, I, I don't know. What else could you possibly do to make this film better? I think it's it's a, a masterpiece to its own. Yeah. What do you got?
1: Great choice. Uh, as I alluded to at the end of last week's episode, I placed this in my top 25 favorite films of all time. So it's absolutely top shelf. It's one I've watched all the time. It's one of my favorites. I think this is my favorite werewolf film. And I, I love the original Lon Chaney. And I loved, I really like The Howling, too, for how different. And that came out the same year as this thing. That's crazy, man. Pick your werewolf film the summer of 81. But there's oh, so, Silver Bullet. I like Silver Bullet, too. I do, too. With Gary Busey and the little Corey Haim and his little uh, wheelchair uh, motorcycle. There's some charm to that film, but... Man, I think they're all looking up. I mean, just like, and it's just all the made more tragic by, like, just like Landis was like on the top of his game. Like, you do Animal House, Blues Brothers, and this film. And then we're going to follow it up with our Nightcap here and Trading Places. are just like, you give that guy any movie and he's just going to slay, right? And then the Twilight Zone happens, right? And it kind of, it, it derails his career, and he still is able to do coming to America after that in Spies Like Us, and he still has a career, but not the career that I think he could have had. Could have had, and you just see the genius, right? You see how good he is at the writing and the staging of things, and how he understands horror and comedy, and I think action as well. Uh Yeah, I think that that makes it all the the more the more tragic about kind of his trajectory, but this, it doesn't change this film. Like I'll watch this once a year. Like, I love this movie. Yeah, it's good. Have you ever seen American werewolf in Paris? I didn't see that one. Tom Everett, Scott and Julie Delphi. Mm-mm. It's supposed to be a spiritual esque sequel to this, but man, that movie is bananas and kind of a, not a good way. Who directed that? <laughs> I couldn't even tell Somebody. you. <clears throat> I've seen it a couple times and it's just, it's kind of a bad movie, but there's some schlock in there to kind of like, kind of chagrin at, but it doesn't, even come close to, to this right so yeah. excellent to your to your ranking to, to the wolf ranking. this was a lot did you, did you have a good time re-watching it I did, yeah. good 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 um i know we're excited for this but let's get into our nightcap <laughs>
0: Such a good baseline.
1: So we weren't the only fans of this film in 1981. There was another big fan of this film. His name was Michael Jackson. So he essentially recruited the whole kind of production team of this film to come help him make arguably the best music video of all time. Yeah. And we'll just let him do his thing for here for a second. So, Matt, take us in the way back machine. Take us back to 1983, and what was it like when this
0: came out? The video, the album, like, it was just Michael Jackson fever, right? December 2nd is when this came out, but this is the third installment of what I call the trilogy, mm-hmm. which was Billie Jean beat it, and then this. Uh, look, at that time, most music was made or broke on MTV. Yeah. And what we were just figuring out at that time was how you could bombard the senses not only with the audio but the visual that went along with it. I can't tell you what a big deal this was. So on December 2nd, which is such a strange, not October, December. Yeah, almost Christmas. Almost Christmas. This thing premiered, I believe the VJ that night was Mark Goodman. And they did it pretty late at night. I think it was 10 o'clock our time because they wanted to sort of present the air of responsibility for something that might be so terrifying not to freak out their young viewers. Um, my parents had gone out Christmas shopping that night, as a matter of fact. So I had an irresponsible babysitter nice, and myself. So I was what nine and my brother who was not was 10. So my brother was four, five, six. Yeah. Six. Talked her into letting us watch it. And I was never so enthralled about a piece of music in my life. And to be honest with you, that was one of my I still like that song, but that's one of my least favorite songs on that album. Yeah. And it, the lyrics to it are actually pretty stupid if you really like yeah, it's a story of taking your date to a to a scary movie. Yeah. It's pretty silly. Yeah. But man, when that video came on and it shows up and we get that, which I will argue mm-hmm. the best looking werewolf that has ever been done is fully teenage werewolf, Michael Jackson and thriller. That yep. is the best looking one ever.
1: Almost like a, like a werewolf, werewolf, werecat cat or something. Yeah, He's got man. some whiskers. Like there's some great work there again. Rick Baker again.
0: Looks awesome. Yeah. So they showed it 13 minutes, ran the credits and we looked at each other and then went back and they showed it again. Ah, oh, Nice. And for the next six months, you kind of had to plan your day yeah. around when it was going to show. Like you would probably make sure you turned into the top 10 video countdown because that was going to be at number one and you knew you could get it then. And that was back in the days when you know, you couldn't just look it up on YouTube.
1: Yeah, you'd have to wait.
0: You had to VHS it and hopefully time it and get a good copy and then hope nobody taped over it. And yeah, So you could just watch it when you had it. Because if you were just going to sit around and wait... You probably weren't gonna get it because the length of the video was 13 minutes. Yeah. It didn't get a ton of airplay because they could do four other ones and go to commercial. Yep. So there was some time elements that presented a bit of a challenge. You know, Blockbuster released this. At least like yeah, they sold a copy of this with like yeah. the behind the scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. I think in 1983 it was their best selling video. I believe it. We tried to do the dance on the basketball court at my middle school, the zombie dance. That became a big deal. Um. look man the world is on fire at this point with Michael Jackson's Thriller that is to date yeah. the best selling album that has ever been I know people say well Eagles greatest hits and I mean individually single release I
1: think it's a hundred million
0: copies and I think second isn't even close to that it was rumors yeah and it killed rumors.
1: Yeah. Like Dark Side of the Moon's up there and like Bad Out of California's up there. Meatloaf. Like, But they're like at like the $40 million, yeah. like million copies. Like, dude, Michael's in the hundreds. Like, they're not even close to like the power that this album had over
0: people, man. Even his silly disclaimer to start. Oh, God. Dude, I, let I, me I just, do it. Let me do yeah. it. Let me do this. Just like.
2: I don't believe in the occult or whatever you're going to see in this
1: video. <laughs> it's just like so ridiculous because yeah. they were Jehovah's Witness, right? Right. Which, man, Jehovah's Witness, they don't even celebrate their own birthday, so, right? So like they're not going to embrace the occult, which is what he's going to do in this film. So you so
0: sit there thinking, what the hell am I getting myself yeah, into? What is this? Yeah. I mean, it's, there was no disclaimer before Billie Jean, and that's a song about you know, baby mama. Yeah, exactly. That's way more salacious than this. Yeah. But nonetheless, uh, it set the video airwaves on fire for six, seven months. To this day, mm-hmm. I'll still make the case that that's the best rock video that's ever been done. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it fits a genre, I guess, that I that I prefer, horror. <laughs> but, man, it's just so, so well done. It's so important that it spawned, uh, what's her name, Ola Ray? Yeah. She got a gig in Playboy from this film yeah. or from this from from this video. Mm-hmm. Um, it is
1: a film. This is like a little short film that they, is. That,
0: that, that, that they created. And if you think about it, the two inspirational movies would be night of the living dead. Mm-hmm. And I was a teenage werewolf. Now we can look at the social commentary <laughs> on night of the living dead. And I'm sure someday on the podcast we will really, you know, yeah, but kind of just on, at its base. Yeah. It's one of the more, I think, generally discarded horror films i mean this is not it's not psycho or yeah. dracula or something along those lines and i was a teenage werewolf like you said earlier michael landon in a b b b b b movie yeah i don't know god bless john landis and michael jackson and and uh quincy jones and rick baker and vincent price yeah so watching werewolf
1: i think we just served up a great double feature for people to get into this october which is Queue up American Werewolf in London and then roll Thriller like immediately after because you're gonna see a lot of similarities in like the craft and the layout of the horror and the comedy, right? Uh, I don't have quite the illustrious history with this video as you, but like my parents had the album. Of course, everyone in America had that album, right? Everyone and their mom owned Thriller, uh, and we would play it. And like I just my the Vincent Price epilogue was my favorite part of the song until I saw the video which they were still routinely showing at various points and you could maybe catch it, but I thought it was freaky. Like that, that one ghoul that has like the, like the juice coming out of his mouth, like it's just like, I always remember that. And there's just something so, so when you listen to it on the album, it's a little bit different, right? I mean, the Vincent Price epilogue ends the song with the laugh and, and all that, but that's in the middle of the video. Right. What's missing from the actual studio release track is my favorite piece, which is the the bridge dance breakdown, man, which is that what I played there, which is the boom, boom. Tch, tch. And then you get to see how Michael Jackson was the best dancer on planet earth, right? Mm-hmm. This choreographed rigmarole that in ghoul makeup. And it's just those whites, right? It's just like that, like get ghastly ghoul face and all the background acts, uh, background actors, in pounds of makeup are able to pull off that choreographed dance the way they do is incredible, and I like that he like ghouls back to regular Michael for like the reading of the thriller verse. Right, it's it's just really well paced out. I mean, like the first three minutes is a horror film. It's this werecat cat attacking Ola Ray. And then we cut back to the theater and then like, dude, Michael's just eating it up. Right. I mean, he's just like, I can't get enough of this movie. And just like Michael eating the popcorn is one of my favorite things ever. Mm-hmm. And then what does it say in the blood? See you next Wednesday. Just like the little John Landis. Right. Yeah. It's a really well-crafted music video. It's, it's the ghouls coming from the grave. Dude, Rick Baker does more with zombies in four minutes than whatever we saw in full cheese zombie. Right. I mean, yeah, he puts that to shame. Yeah. Some really good work here. And Michael looks great. The dance moves are great. All the hand gestures and the classic Michael moves. And
0: even the ending is great. Mm-hmm. He looks back over his right shoulder and gives you the werewolf eyes. Yeah. God damn, that's good. Yeah. It's, they don't make videos like this anymore. Like like
1: like narrative pieces that have like a story that get into the song and have like a whole production behind it is to landis rick baker quincy jones michael jackson to just like realizing like if we put all these together we could have something that like will stand the test of time and be something that people will never forget Mm -hmm. yeah this if we quickly rated the thriller music video this is a top shelf like video like this is remarkable yeah perfect Excellent. Yeah, you got to watch, yeah, watch Werewolf in London, then queue up Thriller, and you're just going to have a great time. And, like, under two hours, you just get, got so much entertainment there that, like, a two-hour movie could never give you.
0: <laughs> do you hear that, Marvel?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Speaking of which, do you know how long Black Panther Wakanda Forever is? No. Two hours and 42 minutes. Oh, dude, dude, man, just, like, just queue up, like, a a catheter while I'm in the theater, man. It's just going to be peeing every day. 30 minutes with that with that film like i just i don't i don't understand it and i just I, it really makes me appreciate these lean vehicles of we're in we're out there's the rules
0: we know what we're making and let's just get on with it i'm not sure why they are so driven to do that why can't 215 be enough 215 is a long movie yeah. that's a lot of movie that's a lot of movie you need yeah. 245 for wakanda forever you do not yeah. you do not
1: yeah we better be moving mountains in that movie Jeez. like anyway Man, this has been a lot of fun. I knew this would be a good watch. I knew Thriller was going to just play well, and it just it feels so syncopated with that film, right? I yeah. And it's just like Michael saw Michael sat in the theater and was probably saw the werewolf thing. And he was just like he probably lost his shit, right? As a creative genius that he was, uh, he was probably just like, "Gosh, we did that in a music video. Like, what would that look like? What would the song be?" And then they came up with all of that, right? Yeah. So. I knew this was going to be a lot of fun, so check it out. You can watch the trailer on YouTube. This film's actually on Amazon Prime right now, but um, very readily available. But, again, this was my choice this week. Next week, it's all you, so I've been waiting for seven days on what's Matt going to pick for his dealer's choice horror edition. Have at it.
0: We've talked about this movie, and I just don't know when we're going to get to the space where we're able to do the cask that it would fit in. Okay. It's real, real avant-garde filmmaking over a really fun conversation that probably not enough people have seen. Two-titled film or two words in the title. The first word is it. The second word is... Follows. You got it. It follows. Great choice. Let's do what follows next All right, week. good, awesome. Yeah. I know
1: that there was a lot, like, when this came out, I mean, you and I were kind of set ablaze by the idea right yeah and kind of what that went forth to the movie we saw and then what could happen afterwards so thematically we're gonna have a ton to talk about and this is gonna be a good one like this will be this is a film i know i like and i know there's this is a very divisive film amongst the horror community where there's a lot of people that are in our camp we're like this is this is a work of art and there's a lot of people are like that movie sucks. And so I can't wait to talk about that and just how disparaging that particular film is and how we haven't really seen anything from that director since like, what the hell?
0: Yeah. And like the development issues for it follows two and all that stuff. There's, there's a lot of story to be told here. Yeah. And a lot of, I think cerebral territory to cover.
1: Great choice. Excellent. 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 Uh, well, uh, that's it for this week. Uh, Go check out the episode. Download us on an Apple Podcast, Spotify, any of those podcast sites. Let us know what your favorite werewolf movie would be or who you'd cast. Who's directing that thing? Mm. Got Spielberg directing your werewolf movie? Maybe not. But <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, I got to get going. I'm going to go for a hike in the woods, but I am going to stay on the road, and I'm going to beware of the moon.
0: How long do you think the trip's going to take? Uh, I don't know. I just... I'll see you next Wednesday. Okay. <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> we'll see you all next Wednesday, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark.
1: Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there, it really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. An American Werewolf in London, is property of Universal Pictures, producer sales organization, the Goober Peters Company, And polygram pictures. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time. Cheers.
3: David. They're going to kill you.
2: David. Please.
3: Please let me help you. I love you, David.